Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Grams. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,284 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow if you have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I have delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the 24th of a 25-week message series covering the book of Hebrews. This message is titled, Changeless Truths in a Shifting World. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Today we continue our extended series to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We have this week and then next week will be our final message in Hebrews. But last week we examined standing at the crossroads of commitment and contentment. And we discovered that if we applied the six principles we went over last week, it will take our Christian faith, or life of faith, hope, and love to the next level. Now this week we're going to turn our attention in comparing the shifting world around us, the world that changes so much. And we're going to compare that to a collection of changeless truths concerning Christ Jesus and his plan and purpose of God. The passage today is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 through 17. It's on page 1879 of your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. This chapter is titled, Concluding Exhortations. Follow along as I start with verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which whose ministers, those who minister at the tabernacle, have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through its own, his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is yet to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise from the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, and that would be of no benefit to you. Let's all get into the Wayback Machine. If you remember, well, it wasn't. It was a cartoon that used to have a Wayback Machine in it. Let's go back to the time before Christ. Back to, that was Peabody and Sherman. Just came to me, sorry. Peabody and Sherman with their Wayback Machine. So let's climb into that and go back before the time of Christ to an ancient Greek philosopher named Heraclitus, who lived 540 to 480 BC before Christ. And this is something that he observed. He said, there is nothing permanent except for change. Now this was contrary to the other philosophers of his day that believed that the reality was that It never changed. Heraclitus contended that everything was in a constant state of flux. And from a purely human perspective, that's the way it seems, doesn't it? That he seems to be correct, this philosopher 
that was before Christ. We see everything changing from the subtle currents of the meandering Muskingum River to the raging waves of the ocean, from the subatomic particles that make up everything that's in this creation to the expansion of the universe, which is, we're told, is expanding at an exponential rate. And adding to this constant flux of our physical universe are the endless fads of fashion and society, of culture and politics, which seem to change almost overnight, of morality, philosophy, and religion. Sometimes changes move slowly, almost imperceptibly, just like the turning of summer into fall. It doesn't happen overnight. We see a few tinges of color on the leaves, and then more every week until the leaves are finally gone. Or a sapling that you plant in the spring, and over the years, it grows into a fruit tree bearing fruit for us. Oftentimes, though, change happens very abruptly, unexpectedly, like maybe losing a job that you thought was very secure, or maybe getting a job that you never expected. Maybe it's losing a loved one through an accident or a heart attack, and it seems like it just went like that. Or maybe it's something that happens much more slowly. The constant flowing of the river of reality is that it reminds that we are finite, that we're mutable, that means we change, and that we're mortal, that we will not live forever in our current state. And like the universe, we had a beginning. We're in the middle of the process, and we'll eventually have an end, or we're heading toward that end. And as we ride the rushing rapids of change in our world today, we need to look at the reality, not only through our physical eyes and we see the change all around us, but we need to look at it through our spiritual eyes, the eyes of faith. It is then we'll see God's perspective on the matter and learn that amid this ever-changing river of life that seems to be rapidly changing more every day, we see a reality that, that we do have a triune God whose nature and his character, his plans, his purposes, and his promises stand like an immovable boulder. In contrast to the, his creation and his creatures, God is immutable. He is an immovable rock. He never has a bad day. He doesn't learn things that he never knew before. He isn't fickle and moody as we are. He doesn't go back on his word, and he doesn't start something that he can't or won't finish. In our passage today, verses 18, 8 through 17, turns our attention from the shifting world of this cluster of changeless truths to the truths of Jesus Christ, who never changes. The plans and the purposes of God, the practical implications are clear. In a constantly changing, unreliable world, Jesus remains the same. Only in him can we place our faith, cast our hope, and know how to properly love. As our closing hymn today will say, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all others' ground is sinking sand. So let's look at verses 8 and 9 to begin with. One theologian is defying God's immutability. That means his unchanging ability is that God's inability to change his divine nature or character 
or to be altered by a finite circumstances or events. He doesn't have the ability to change. It's not part of who God is. Another theologian I read this week said, to say that God is immutable is to say that he never differs from himself. He is always God. The biblical support for this doctrine of God is found back in the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, where he's quoting God in this passage. He says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in his letter, James chapter 1, verse 17, that with God he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And then the author of Hebrews writes here in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we're given just yet another glimpse of the superior person in the work of Christ. Because he is fully divine, he has the attributes of divinity, including immutability. That means he never changes. This leads us to an essential question about the humanity of Christ, though. Doesn't the doctrine of Christ as a fully human being mean that now or in some sense God the Son is changed and is therefore changeable? Well, another theologian, Scott Horrell, explains it this way. If God is immutable, then what about his incarnation? That means his taking on his flesh as a human. How could the eternal divine Son assume a human nature? Well, the answer Although united to a finite human nature, the Son's divine nature remains unchanged. His attributes, perfection, purpose, and promise never change. Because Jesus Christ is unchanging in this way, he is superior for pressing on with stability in a constantly changing world. You see, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, it was part of God's plan, that triune God, before creation began, that the Son of God would take on a human form and become one of us, fully human and yet remaining fully divine. God's plan never changed from the beginning. That was his plan before creation began. The unchangeableness of Christ's character, his nature, his purpose, his plans, and his promises keeps us as believers from being swept away by the swift currents, as verse 9 says, of all kinds of strange teachings. The word strange in this word is the Greek word paiokilos, which is used to describe something that is diverse or variegated or many-colored. Now, this is just one strip of a piece of cloth that Paula used to make a quilt not too long ago. And variegated means that it slowly changes from one color to another as it goes throughout the material. And Paula will cut these large sheets of fabric up into little pieces. And then she'll show, sew those little pieces together and make a beautiful quilt out of it. I think we have some other quilters in the congregation today also that would do the same thing. She takes these ragged edges and makes them look beautiful. The unchangeableness of Christ's character never changes. In other words, the false doctrines comes in all shapes, sorts of shapes and sizes and colors because they spring from people's shifting imaginations, not from Christ's unchanging person in his work. And in the same manner, God takes our broken lives, our little scraps of life that sometimes we mess up ourselves with the ragged edges and he pieces them back together in Christ and makes a beautiful image of Jesus Christ out of us just as a quilter would do 
with a piece of fabric. Not surprisingly, in the first century, the false teachings attacked those fundamental principles of grace, that you're saved strictly by believing in Jesus Christ, not by the works that you do. God has granted the gifts of salvation, the spiritual strength through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit that dwells within each of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior. However, false teachers like those who were trying to woo the Jewish believers away back into the law saying, no, you have to practice the Jewish law in order to be in right standing with, with God, with Jehovah. Those believers had been saved by grace through faith. They were trying to wheel them back into an obsolete system of dietary regulations that were never meant to provide inner spiritual strength. The same kind of Judaizing heresies were throughout the scripture. And Paul noted in Galatians and Colossians and 1 Timothy some of these heresies that were being propagated. On this passage, a commentator by the name of Raymond Brown notes, it is grace which strengthens the believer's heart, not a subscription to rules and avoidance of prohibited food. There's no room for material sacrifices, animal offerings, sacred meals, or hallowed altars. All that is over and gone. It is obsolete. That means it is not applicable for today. Because Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and rose again, completely fulfilled everything that the law required meaning we don't have to fulfill that law because Christ fulfilled it for us. As we move on to verses 10 through 17, over the obsessions of these Judaizers with their altars or sacrifices, their sacred meals, the author of Hebrews reiterates the superior, superiority of the person and work of Christ. Now, we've had this theme throughout the book of Hebrews, and some of these studies have been a bit difficult to understand and piece together because they're rooted in that Old Testament law. But now, the final time, the author of Hebrews takes one last swipe at these obsolete practices of Judaism. But this time, he contrasts is more practical. We either believe that we find Christ is superior for pressing on, or we choose at empty rituals of religion. And in this, we see five changeless truths. That we have to abandon certain beliefs and practices of the shifting world to hold firm onto that unchangeable grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these five things are, we have an altar to use. In verse 10, we have a reproach to bear. In verse 11 through 13, we have a city to seek. In verse 14, we have a sacrifice to offer. In verse 15 and 16, and we have leaders to follow. In verse 17, and if you look at your bulletin insert today on the side, it says, changeless truths in a shifting world. Let us drill down on those five changeless truths in a changing world. The first one is we have an altar to use. Verse 10, the old system of the tabernacle accomplished nothing eternal, nothing spiritual, and nothing that contribute to our salvation and sanctification. And sanctification means becoming holy. It never has a permanent sway in this. Christians have an altar that is utterly distinct from the tabernacle's animal sacrificial system. Here, our altar is used as an image of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he paid the price for our temporal sin that is part of our world today. 
There's no need for a temporary system anymore, for ritual cleansing, for animal sacrifices. And those who wanted to bring those Jewish believers back into that old system were thumbing their noses at the Messiah saying, you are not enough. You must follow the law. To them, the crucified Christ meant nothing. But to us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, it is everything that we base our entire worldview on. When we sin in thought, in word, and in deed, and we will, because we still have the old nature within us, but when we do that, we don't have to rush to the priest with the animal on a leash saying, please sacrifice this animal for my sins. No, all we have to do is turn to Christ alone, whose blood paid for all of our sins, our sins in the past, our sins that we're committing currently, and any sins that we might commit in the future have been paid for by Christ by his once-for-all sacrifice. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul wrote, So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. All the condemnation that we would have otherwise is completely gone because of Jesus Christ. The second changeless truth that we have is we have a reproach to bear in verses 11 through 13. The author makes both a comparison and a contrast here between animal sacrifices of the altar, the tabernacle, and the sacrifices of Christ on the cross. Just as the bodies of the animal sacrifices were burned outside the camp, as if it was to banish sin, not having a part of the Israelite community, as we're told in Leviticus chapter 16, Jesus Christ was crucified outside the gate of the city of Jerusalem, as if he were a sinner. Similar to is the fact that both the animals and Jesus Christ shed their blood and died. But that's where the similarities end. Because the blood of Christ was offered to sanctify the people, that is to make the people holy in the sight of God. When we go before God's throne today, he sees us as completely holy because he sees us through Jesus Christ. We don't need the animal sacrifices in order to do that. While the blood of animals never offered a permanent solution when they were taken into that holy place because they could not take away sin, as we learned in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Now, the author then draws a particular attention to the fact that Christ's death was outside the city gates. And that meant it was a mark of reproach. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12 tells us, he was counted among the rebels, though he was innocent of any sin. He suffered the death as one who was cursed, as Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 tells us, though he was blessed above all in God's sight. He endured ridicule and mocking while hanging on the cross, as we're told in Matthew 27, verses 38 through 40, though he deserved our worship and praise and deserved the worship and praise of those who were crucifying him. And in the same way, when we believe as believers in Christ, stand firm on those unchanging truths of the word of the gospel of Christ and his death and resurrection, we should brace ourselves for similar persecutions or scorns in this constantly changing world. How easy it would have been for those first century Jewish believers in Christ to flee from the scorn associated with their devotion to a crucified Messiah and go back to those old practices. The truth is, the closer that we align ourselves from, you know, with firm devotion in an unchanging truth of the faith, the closer we align ourselves with the suffering of Christ. Now, we happen to be particularly blessed here in America, in the Western world, that we're not usually persecuted for our belief in Christ. But it's not so throughout the world. Many countries 
you're very much persecuted or even killed for your stand for Christ. We don't see that, but we see the beginnings of that starting to envelop in our society. Are we willing to bear that reproach as believers, as our faith strong enough that we will? We take up the cross of reproach with him. It may be through abuse, through misunderstanding, or even through persecution. The rapidly changing world can't stand it when we are a stick in the mud, according to them. When we refuse to go along with the flow, when we can't keep up with their progressive trends, when we can't brand our morals to the breeze of a feel-good philosophy. So we need to be willing to bear that reproach. The third changeless truth that we have is that we have a city to seek. Verse 14, no matter where we live in this world or for how long, we're still temporary residents in the world as it is today. Now we know when Jesus Christ returns a second time to establish his kingdom here on earth, and the world is completely remade into a global Eden, and heaven descends, the holy Jerusalem, to heaven and earth, that we will have a permanent residence there. But that, not until that time, we will not. You could have been born in one country, gone to school in another, moved several times throughout the country or the world before you became an adult. You could work a job that have you working in different states or even different nations around the world, as John was in Italy for a while with his work. But it doesn't matter, because nations and kingdoms and empires are all fleeting. They're temporary institutions until the kingdom of God is established here on earth. The lines on the map, the geographic areas may change. If you looked at the country of Africa over the years, the countries in the, have changed fairly significant. So it doesn't matter how frequently we change our latitude and longitude of our coordinates here on earth. But here we do not have an enduring city. And Paul is grinning at me because I said the country of Africa. It's the continent of Africa. <laughs> Each of those are countries within Africa. Thank you, Paula, for your subtle grin. This is why we should never forget the longing of an unchanging reality grounded in God. As the second half of the verse says, we are looking for a city that is yet to come. And the fourth changeless truth is that we have a sacrifice offer in verses 15 and 16. We have no physical, earthly altar that we go to. We have no bloody animal sacrifices, no position that is worthy of praise in this world and no permanent place for eternity in this world, no earthly citizenship as it is today. But does that mean we have nothing to offer God to worship? Absolutely not. The author states that we are continually to offer God a sacrifice of praise, as our praise, praise song said today, which explains a giving of thanks to God. It echoes a similar sentiment from a previous chapter in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 28, where we are instructed, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And as always, God is more interested in the attitudes of our hearts expressed through genuine words and deeds than mere external rituals that we might perform out of obligation. Beyond praising God and thanksgiving, the text adds here that we're to do good 
and to share with others. This is part of our spiritual worship, aspects of authentic spiritual worship. That's why we give to those who are in need. That's why we come alongside and help those who might need a little bit of extra help this week or next week. That's why we, as a body of believers, try to do good to those that we can, to share with others. In short, God wants all of us, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I plead you to give your bodies to God because of what he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And in this way, we will be transformed into an image of the unchangeable son, rather than being conformed to the changing patterns of this world, as Paul went on to write in verse 2 of chapter 12. And the fifth unchangeable truth is that we have leaders to follow. And these are leaders within the entire body of Christ. They may be here within Putnam. They may be the worldwide body of Christ, those that are teaching God's word and helping us as believers. False teaching has its leaders too. The Lord Jesus warned against this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who have come disguised as harmless sheep, but they are really vicious wolves. And similarly, the apostle Peter, one of the closest disciples to Christ, wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but there are also false prophets in Israel, just as there were false teachers among you. They will be cleverly teach you destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. And then the, the disciple that Jesus loved most, as John self-proclaimed, wrote in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit you must test them to see if the Spirit has come from God. For there are many false prophets or false antichrists, the antichrists in the world. That's what his closest disciples said. Beware, because there are false teachers. Through false teachers, they had all kinds of strange teachings in verse 9. And they differed from each other. And this is one way to know whether a teaching is false. Is it differing? not only from each other, but from the word of God. To contend against these false teachers and to promote sound doctrine and right living, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, what the solution was for this. Now these gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all has come to the unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will be in, not be influenced by people who trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. It was in reference to these teachers within the body of Christ, the church worldwide, that are teaching sound doctrine that we're to follow. The author of Hebrews instructed his audience in verse 17, obey the, your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they will be accountable to God. It would be unprofitable for the church to rebel against those who are truly standing on God's word. Those leaders that are teaching us in God's word. And it's not just those who might speak in church, whether it be me or John or John or anyone else speaking here. 
It is those who are teaching, whether it's the children's message or if you're just coming alongside someone during the course of your everyday life and helping others. That's what God is talking about. Be true to God's word in your teaching. Because Christ himself ordained leadership within the body of Christ, it's to help us to grow mature, but it could be any one of us. I haven't had the privilege of speaking on most Sundays, but that doesn't mean that I'm the only one who does a teaching within this body of Christ here or throughout the world. It's everyone who's has claimed the name of Christ in teaching others. Without these leaders, church growth would be stunted, and the members would be easily led astray into false teaching. So what's the application today of Hebrews chapter 11, or 13, verses 8 through 17? It's on the other side of your bulletin insert. Because in an era where families are as likely to be scattered across the country as they are to remain in their hometowns, when jobs that we train for in high school and college don't even exist anymore, when our childhood looks nothing like, our childhood looks nothing like the childhood of our kids or grandkids, it's good to know that the spiritual truths will never change. In order to do so, let's look at three practical principles to lean on as it helps us to stand strong on that solid rock in a shifting world. The first one is, the changing world reminds us of our need for a changeless word. Jesus Christ, the word of God, never changes, as it says in verse 8. God's revelation, his word to us, endures forever. As Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, just as navigators on the vast oceans, their ships, they use the stars to navigate in a straight line to make sure that they're reaching their destination. We need an unchanging standard a direct, to direct the courses of our lives. When we encounter those who are confused or misinformed or deceived or disoriented people who don't know how to live properly or what to even believe, we should be ready, every one of us, to be ready to point them to the doctrine of the unchanging Savior and his eternal message of hope. The second practical principle is that changeless Christ drives out strange doctrines in our lives. The temporary rites and rituals of the Old Testament system pointed to a superior person and work of Jesus Christ. The continual sacrifices under the law anticipated that once for all sacrifice. When we recall that his person and work is final, that it's unchanging, that it's fixed for eternity, we'll be unimpressed when we come across all kinds of strange teachings. That strange teaching that tries to displace our salvation that comes from grace through faith in him. The more we draw near to that changeless Christ, the safer we will be from dangerous doctrines. When we watch somebody on TV or we hear somebody speak, we will know immediately whether it lines up with God's word. And those who are in those teaching positions need to be held accountable for what they're teaching. And it's because we can go to God's word and line it up with what's being taught to see if it is truly part of God's word. And the third practical principle is a changeless work of salvation strengthens our hope and a secure eternity. If getting to the city of God were based on our works, none of us could know for sure whether we'd ever get there. 
even or even if we're heading in the right direction. We need God's word that tells us because salvation is based on grace and rest in faith of an unchanging person and work of Jesus Christ, we can have a certainty to have heaven, our heavenly trajectory and our eternal destination. We don't have to constantly worry about losing our salvation because it's not based on anything we've done. It's not based on our changing thoughts or our feelings or our actions, but it's based on his unchanging character and purpose. It takes us back to verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's what we base our hope on. So let us hold on to this changeless truth in a changing world. Now next week we'll finish up the final chapter of Hebrews and our last lesson in Hebrews. And now that we've learned what Hebrews has to teach us, we will, as the message of the title of the message, will be equipped to do his will. So I'd encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25 in preparation for next week. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have a solid standard that we can follow, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, and that we stand on that solid rock of Christ, that we don't have to worry about the changing, shifting sands that are all around us because we're standing on the true rock, that unmovable, immutable rock that is our salvation. We thank you for this. We pray as we go about this week that we can show others through our lives and through our conversation that we're standing on this immovable rock, which is Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.